It's the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today on the podcast, we have part 23 of our series on the book of Philippians, Letters from Prison. My first time to speak in a few weeks, so... Today we'll be looking at a very famous verse written by Paul... Philippians 4.13, among other verses, hoping to get perhaps maybe a better understanding of this verse than is common in our culture. So I think you'll get a lot out of this one. Well, just a reminder, on the website, we're starting some new devotionals starting tomorrow where you can start reading through the book of Philippians in your quiet time uh, with some reflective questions. It's going to be posted online starting August 8th, and it'll continue for several weeks. So check that out at NorthShoreVineyard.org. Thanks for listening. Let's go to the talk. Downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard. We're, we're in part 23 of the book of Philippians, and, and so here is the verse for today, Philippians 4. 10 through 13. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I've taken a break from speaking a lot in the last month, but the last time I spoke here, I introduced you to a new song. Does anybody remember the song? Think, do, and the God of peace will be with... It's coming back to you? Yes. Um, I got email comments that uh, within a few days of that service that people were still having a hard time getting that uh, thing out of their head. I, I, do, I do have a gift for writing obnoxious so – I probably should have gone into commercials or something, um, jingle business. Um, so that was kind of a way to, to, to reinforce what we'd learned in the previous verses. Well, today I've got another song to share with you that, that will likely not be quite as annoying. But this is a song that I wrote a few years ago inspired – by some of these passages today. So I thought, hey, this is a good excuse to get a sax player and, and Pat Alvarez. They both played on the original CD. So I thought, I'm going to get these guys out and we're going to try this. So let's, let's, let's have fun here. Let them down. 
too many people got their minds made up. No matter what this life brings, they're gonna have a half empty cup. I made up my mind. No matter what comes at me, let your spirit flow inside of me. They can try, but can't have a hold on me. Will I? You satisfy, satisfy me. You satisfy me. Be poor, but all the money this world got ain't gonna make a life secure. I got real life now on the inside, and there ain't nothing else gonna keep me satisfied. I made up my mind, no matter what comes at me, let your can try, they can't have a hold on me, will I, you satisfy, satisfy me, you satisfy me, Brian Graber. satisfied the bank is never satisfied my mind is never satisfied but you satisfy you satisfy me Inside of me, they can try. 
have a hold on me Thank you, guys. That was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> well, um, that's that's my uh, musical version. Of, we're gonna we're gonna do a, a rock opera, a, a funk opera of the uh, Book of Philippians that'll be available uh, <laughs> next year. But uh, uh, since we're coming up with all these songs on it, but um, you know, t- today we're coming to a couple of the most well-known most often quoted and most misunderstood verses in the book of Philippians. We're going to cover one today and and one of them next week, which are are verses which I believe a lot of people fail to truly get an understanding of them. We bought into some kind of cultural idea of what they mean, but we perhaps have, have missed what Paul was getting at. Chances are, if you go down to your local Christian bookstore, you will find... A refrigerator magnet or a bookmark or a Christian t-shirt or a bumper sticker with Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does anybody have anything in their house with that on it? Okay, okay. It's, it's one of those phrases that just about any Christian knows of. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Does, does anybody remember the, the championship boxing match between Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson? Remember that one? Was that like 12 or 13 years ago? Maybe longer? I don't know. But that fight was famous for a lot of reasons. Number one, it was where Mike Tyson finally got defeated uh, for the first time. He had knocked out every opponent up to that point, and Evander Holyfield came in there and schooled him. And it actually marked the, the, the you know, Tyson's career was downhill after that. And, but, but what it's probably more well-known for is that was the fight where Mike Tyson was getting beat so bad that he result, resorted to biting Holyfield's ear. Y'all remember that? I remember watching that live going, what? He's biting his ear. He thinks he can bite his ear in front of 20 million people and nobody's going to see that. And, uh, but but before, before the fight, when the... Boxers come out there and they're wearing their robes. Evander Holyfield's robe had emblazed on it, uh, or what's the word? Embossed. Embroidered. Yeah, one of those M words. It was embroidered on his his robe. It said Philippians 4.13. So let me ask you a question. What do you think Evander Holyfield wearing Philippians 4.13 on his robe going into a fight? What does that verse mean to him? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I can I can do all things through Christ means I can whip your butt in the ring through Christ who strengthens me, right? And the way that Holyfield used that verse is really kind of the way that most of us use that verse. It's basically a verse that has to do with employing the strength of Christ to achieve whatever personal goals that I might have. 
whether they be growing my business, increasing my own personal wealth, succeeding in a job interview, overcoming sickness, overcoming relational problems, or as in Holyfield's case, beating the other guy up. I can do all things for Christ, and our culture has come to mean it's, it's, it's a, one of those verses we quote to be achievers in the life of faith. These are the kind of verses we use to pump ourselves up. I can do all things through Christ. I'm, I'm going in. But one thing we've learned as we've been going through the book of Philippians is that context is really important. If we're going to learn what the actual scriptures mean, we need to look at them within their context, the context of the other verses that are around them, within the context of the overarching narrative of scripture. And then also, it helps to understand the historical context. How many of y'all, by being in here the last few months, just getting the background story of Paul being in prison, a persecuted church, how many of y'all, that, that has helped you understand Philippians more? It's helped me a lot. Yeah. So the question I want to ask, what did Paul actually mean when he wrote to the Philippian church? When he wrote, I can do all things through Christ. What did he actually mean? What was he trying to communicate to the Philippian church? Was Paul offering some kind of proof text for achieving success in life? Or was there something more that he was getting at? Well, to answer this question, I want to look a little bit at Paul's life. If we want to find out what this scripture might have meant to Paul, let's look at how Paul lived. If we want to look at a snapshot of of Paul's life from the book of Philippians, there's a few things we can deduce about Paul. Number one, he's in prison, right? That's kind of the clever name of our, our, our series, Letters from Prison. Paul is in prison. He's an enemy of the state. He's been in prison probably about a year at this time. And he he ended up being in prison for about two years. Why was Paul in prison? Because he said, Jesus is Lord. Now, you may think that that phrase sounds like, Jesus is Lord? Like, really? Like, he's in trouble for saying that? Well, that was considered a treasonous statement in Rome at the time. Now, it's quite often common for us at, at football games and other public events to say the Pledge of Allegiance, right? Well, in Rome, they didn't have the Pledge of Allegiance. What you would do in Rome to show that you were a good Roman citizen, a good patriot, is you would go down to the local temple and you would offer a sacrifice to the emperor because they believed that Caesar was somehow divine. And so Paul, when actually the, the, the Roman government had a phrase, Caesar is Lord and Savior. Does that sound like something you've heard in the Christian Gospels before? Yeah, well... Paul actually took the phrase from the empire. You know, it's like kind of taking the, a phrase from the Pledge of Allegiance and, and then turning it around to something that's actually against the government. Paul took this, this slogan from the Roman Empire, Caesar is Lord and Savior. He said, eh, Jesus is Lord and Savior. Caesar's not God. He's not the king. Jesus is the king. Now, in Rome, it wasn't real popular to put up with, you know, I mean, they wouldn't have, it's not like America where you can burn a flag and, you know, hey, you got First Amendment right. In Rome, if you didn't go along with the Pledge of Allegiance, if you burned the flag or something like the equivalent of that, you would be put in trouble. You know, I mean, put in jail. Big trouble with the empire. So Paul is in prison for saying Jesus is Lord, for encouraging other people to opt out of the worship of the emperor 
and in turn worshiping Jesus. Now, this was a big deal. Now, you may think, really? Like, people would go down to a temple and offer things? That was normal? Yeah, that, you would just, that would just be like regular everyday stuff. It's time to go offer to Caesar, you know? Go, go give him an offering and, and, and pray a blessing over him as the God of our empire. And so Paul is, is actually seen as an enemy of the state. So he's locked up in prison. So we know he's in prison. We know Paul has little of any possessions, right? Um, because the Philippian church, they send Epaphroditus to give him some gifts in prison, you know, like, like food. <laughs> the Roman Empire would not feed you. You had to rely on the, the, the goodness of others to, to even bring you food in prison. So Philippian church sends Epaphroditus. They bring him food. They probably brought him some clothes, maybe some, some uh, Snickers bars and stuff. But he had no possessions. He was allowed to write letters, obviously. And while Paul had actually led some Roman guards to the Lord, he actually started like a Bible study there in prison, a little prison church. We also find out in Philippians that there are some other so-called Christians who are making Paul's life miserable because they're preaching Jesus out of false motives, either just for their own gain, you know, they're competing with Paul, or else they're kind of doing the Saturday Night Live thing and mocking Paul and just, you know, acting like, ah, we're Paul, you know, Jesus is Lord, <laughs> you know, we're so stupid, you know, that kind of thing. That, that mocking didn't sound very convincing, did it? <laughs> Your mama goes to college. Um, sorry. So, so Paul is, is being persecuted by Rome. He's being persecuted by other Christians in prison. He doesn't have any possessions. And finally, Paul doesn't know if he's even going to make it out alive. It was not real common for enemies of the state to go on living. You know, crucifixion, the thing that happened with Jesus... That was kind of the Romans' way of dealing with people that didn't want to go along with Rome. They would hang them up on a, uh, on a crucifix and leave them out there for weeks as a sign. If you mess with Rome, this will happen to you. So Paul had to live with the constant idea that he may not get out of prison. And he even says that in Philippians. I don't know if I'm getting out of here. If I do, it's going to be better for you guys. But I may be stuck here. I may die. So that's a snapshot of Paul's life in prison. But I want to look at some other things that Paul's written as well. I, it, it's too many scriptures to put up on the screen, so just bear with me. Second Corinthians, Paul writes this about you know kind of his biography. He says, "We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings." imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, impurity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as fakes and imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 11 to say this, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. 
Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. 40 lashes minus one, 39, right? Uh, it was kind of known that if you give somebody 40 lashes, you're, you're going to kill them. That's kind of like as, as far as you can take it. So one less than executing him. And he got that five times by the Jews. Um, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. So basically, I'm in danger from Jews, Gentiles, believers, non Everybody is dangerous to me. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who wants to be an apostle? <laughs> I can just see Paul reading out this to his leadership team, uh, you know, in Corinth. Uh, guys, let me, let me clue you in on what ministry is like. I, I, I share all this because for those, because I've found quite often in modern America, there are people who like to take a lot of the words of Paul, a couple of which we're going to look at next week, and they like to, to, to pull them out of context and make it all about this scripture is about my own personal success. If I just quote the scripture and, and pump myself up, my life is going to get better. I'm going to achieve. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, have whiter teeth, fresher breath, a, a wife that loves me more, and, and everything's going to get better. But if that's what Paul truly meant, one has to argue from Paul's own testimony that he really didn't have much faith, did he? I mean, if that's really what Paul believed, then he was pretty lousy at living that. <laughs> Paul, it, it, it looks from all things that we look at for Paul that following Jesus did, certainly did not make his life any easier. It made it a lot harder. So if what Paul is talking about, I can do all things for Christ who strengthens me, isn't just about getting more money, more possessions, more prominence, a bigger reputation, and all that, then what is he getting at here in Philippians? Have you ever noticed this tendency in your own life that when things go bad, you start to question God? You, you like start thinking, is God mad at me? You ever wonder that before? Like you have a week where... You know, the car breaks down, one of the kids gets sick, you're late on the mortgage, you wrote a hot check, you thought the wife had deposited, I'm not saying anything from experience, uh, <laughs> and it's just like, you, you can't get a break, it's like one thing after another, and you just feel like you're being punched from all sides, and, and you get about halfway through that week, and you start wondering, is God mad at me? You ever wondered that before? I felt like that. What am I doing wrong? Am I not reading enough Bible? Am I not praying hard enough? Am I not taking my journey of faith seriously enough? Paul is writing to a church in Philippi that's being persecuted because they're following Jesus just like he is. See, it was easy to follow Jesus in Philippi in the beginning when they were just kind of a, a small group nobody knew about. But now as more and more people start, you know, becoming Christ followers and start joining the Philippian church, as words getting out that they... Worship Jesus and not Caesar. It's starting 
to affect their lives in a negative way. And Paul is saying, look, look, you guys, know this. Just because things are going bad circumstantially for you doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. No, because you can find Jesus even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of brokenness, even in the midst of trials and sickness and and things not going your way. You can find God right in that place. A matter of fact, that's the secret of contentment. See, a lot of people who make it about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, they, they divorce it from the other stuff. The context is Paul saying, I know the secret of happiness. Who wants the secret to be happy today? I mean, please come back next week after we give this to you, okay? Please come back. I mean, don't, don't, don't just think, I got the secret to happiness. I don't need to go back to church now. Uh, <laughs> the secret to happiness is this. I know what it's like to go hungry. I know what it's like to eat good. I probably know more about eating good. I know what it's like to have money. I know what it's like to be poor. But I, I've learned something. That it's not about any of that. It has nothing to do with any of that. What it has to do with is I can do anything through Christ who strengthens me. I can go through anything. I can face disease. I can face hardships. I can face unemployment. I can face my marriage being on the road. I can go through any of it through Christ who strengthens me. I think this is one reason Paul is so quick to share all the bad stuff in his life all the time. You, you, you kind of think like, why would you put all that stuff about being beaten five times and shipwrecked and... Being in danger and cold and naked? Why do why you want to put that? I mean, we're trying to win people to Jesus. Paul, this isn't a very, you know, like, all I can promise you is you might get beaten and end up cold and naked and endangered. Who wants to be a Christian? But I think what Paul is trying to share with the Philippian church, particularly through what they're going through, is this is a time you might not think that God is with you because you're, 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 you're experiencing some serious things right now. But no, God is with you. Just like he's with me in this prison cell where I may be facing the death sentence. He's with me the same way he's with you. And as much as I'm not a big fan of prison, <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can go through anything. I can go through it all. And I'm perfectly content. It's, it's interesting that... Um, What's Paul say here at the beginning of the verse? He says, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm saying this because I, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. What Paul is saying at the beginning, he's thanking them once again for the gift that he talked about at the beginning of the letter of Philippians. Paul has been alone in prison no food, and the Philippians, they love him. <laughs> they probably see that he's in a bad spot. They send a, a nice gift there with Epaphroditus. But what does Paul say he, here? He says, I, I rejoice in your gift. I, I'm so thankful that you guys remembered me and you, you showed it. But just so you know, I don't need your gift. Does that sound kind of like a slap in the face? Like, just so you know, as much as I like your gift, I don't need it. What? Are you crazy, Paul? Have you just like, are you getting delusional from being in prison so long? Are, are you losing touch with reality? Paul is saying, I don't need your gift because I've learned the secret of happiness. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. 
You know, Proverbs 23, 4 through 5 says this. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Thursday, this last Thursday, saw a lot of that happen in the stock market. It, it, what did it drop, like 4% or something? 500 points? And then we got the, the downgrading by Standard & Poor's of, of our uh, credit rating as a country for the first time in our history. Who knows what tomorrow is going to be like? A lot of people are saying people, it, it, it could get really ugly on the world markets tomorrow. The author of, the, of this proverb is saying, look, if we, put our, our, if we attach our happiness to money, that's a losing thing. Because sometimes you're going to have money, sometimes it's going to be good, and sometimes it ain't. And if your happiness is attached to money, it's going to fly away. And Paul, he's not picking a fight with people having money. It's not bad to have money. But don't look for happiness there. Don't look for happiness in your stuff, in your reputation, in your job, whatever. Find your happiness in Christ. You know, it's interesting, the uh, children of Israel, as they formed as a nation, if you, if you read the story back in Genesis, uh, Abraham is, is met by the Lord and, and God says, I'm going to make a great nation of you. And then Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, which end up being the, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, shortly after they become the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, after that first generation dies, they all end up going into slavery. So you have 400 years where the Hebrew people are forming an ethnic identity, but it's formed in the crucible of slavery. Think what that would be like. Like, as far as you can go back in your family line, slaves. That's all that you've known. That's all your dad knew. That's all that his dad knew. That's all that your great-grandfather knew was slavery. And then God hears their cries in slavery and delivers them with a guy named Moses and takes them out into the desert. And it's, it's brilliant what God does to get at their slave mentality. See, for, for years, you would be a Hebrew and you'd be making these mud bricks for the Pharaoh day after day. And you would, your psychology would be such that my happiness, my security is tied to the economy of Egypt. So I make bricks so that Egypt will prosper, so that I will prosper. And you make them day after day after day. God takes the children of Israel out into the desert, and he comes up with this stuff called manna. And it's this bread stuff that would appear out on the ground every morning. But you know what was amazing about manna? And this, I just love, God thinks of everything. Uh, He's pretty good at that. Uh, He comes up with this way to feed the children of Israel. But here's the catch. When it was time to go get manna, you could get all the manna you wanted every day, but you just couldn't store the stuff up. You couldn't get groceries for the next two weeks. You could get what you and your family needed, for that day, if you tried to store the manna till the next day, it would spoil. It had no preservatives at all. Fresh baked. But it would be worm infested by the next morning. And so 
it kept the children of Israel. You, you couldn't try to secure your food supply for the next three months. You had to come out daily and, and partake of what God had given you for that day. What was God doing there? God was, you know, God could have fed them anyway. God, God could have just said, hey, build storehouses and I'm going to put enough food to, to last you for the next 40 years. He didn't do that. <laughs> he said, you're going to have to grab your food every morning, but just enough for that day. What was God doing? He was, he was breaking that slavery mindset. They had come to associate their wealth, their happiness, their security with the economy of Egypt, and God is breaking out. He's saying, your, your, your security, your happiness is not tied to Egypt. It's not tied to the world economy. It's tied to your relationship with me. You do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In a few weeks, we're going to start a study on the book of uh, the Gospel of John, which at the rate that we went through Philippians... It should take us probably about four years to, to get through the Gospel of John. But a little spoiler alert here. Uh, in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus actually says, I am the bread of life. This is what Paul is getting at. Though he may look like a slave, though he may look like a prisoner, his happiness is not tied to Rome. It's not tied to the economy of Rome. It's tied to his relationship with Jesus. The grace and, and, and peace that apprehended Paul in the beginning has sustained him and will continue to lead him on. And that is the internal reality within Paul's life. And Paul is saying, look, I thank you for your gift. I thank you, but God's got me. He's my daily bread. And I got to keep going to, you know, I can't, I can't get stuff for the next two weeks. I got to just keep coming to Jesus every day. Because my happiness is tied to my relationship with him. Think about what it would be like if we could live like that. I mean, think. I won't sing a song about thinking. Think of what it would be like. If we could actually live in that reality more often, that, that my happiness is tied to my relationship with Jesus. I don't have to worry about the economy. I don't have to worry about all these other things. I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, sometimes I think we, we really get ourselves messed up because we pray to God for something and we don't get the outcome we want. Have you ever got a prayer unanswered before, right? Some of you are telling the truth, the rest of you are. Sometimes we attach our happiness to a specific outcome. If God will just fix my marriage, then I'll be happy. If God will just give me this job promotion, then I'll be happy. If we can just get this, or if, if I could just be healed, then I would be happy. You know, Paul, truth is, there were times in Paul's life where God busted him out of jail. If you read the book of Acts, there's a time where Paul is singing worship songs in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden an angel comes up and busts the doors open on that jail. But here Paul is, he's been in prison for a year. No angels. <laughs> you don't think Paul prayed for that once or twice? God, can, can you hook me up with that angel again? <laughs> You think you could bust me out of here? That would be cool. Show your power, Lord. But God left him in there. Actually, this wasn't the only time he ended up in prison. He ended up in prison later on. 
There have been times in my life where I have been prayed for when I've been sick and I've been healed instantly. There have been times in my life where I was struggling with something, where I was prayed for, and immediately I was set free. There have been times in my marriage and my personal life where our finances were, I mean, we didn't know where the next meal was going to come from, and God showed up, got enough money to pay the bills, and, and it was awesome. But there have also been times where I've prayed for healing and it didn't happen. There have been times where I've prayed for a financial miracle and it didn't happen that way. There have been times where the outcome that I wanted didn't happen. But you know what? We're in good company because Paul actually didn't get one of his prayers answered either. If you look in in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, he says, he talks about a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan. Um, Bible scholars have speculated at what this thing was. Paul doesn't share what it is. Some, some think it was some kind of sickness. Some think it was maybe some kind of personality problem he had, you know, <laughs> Tourette's or something. Uh, some people... And it might have even just been some annoying person that stalked him all the time and just tried to make his life hell. But he says, I pleaded with God on three occasions, please take this thing away from me. And what does God say? No, I'm going to leave you your thorn in the flesh. I'm going to leave you that little messenger from Satan. What? But God says, but my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's why I think Paul can say, look, I can do all things. There ain't nothing I can't go through with Jesus. Whether I get the outcome that I want or not, as long as I got Jesus, I got everything. See, the truth is, I suspect most of you are probably like me, at least in this respect. How much do you learn from God when everything's going great? What kind of brilliant life lessons do you learn when all the bills are paid, when the wife is loving you and the kids are obeying you? And, and what kind of lessons do you learn? What, what transformation do you experience in those times in your life? I experience very little. <laughs> but I can look back on my whole life. I actually wrote a, a, a blog. I, I write a blog uh, called My Life as a Wrestler, and I, I did a little post a week or so ago called Thank God for Bad Pastors. And I was looking back over my life, and I've, as, as many of you, I've heard many of your stories, and I've heard some really bad stories about times you've had with bad pastors. And, and I realized that I will probably be a bad pastor to some of you too uh, without trying to. You know, it's, I'm going to probably hurt some of you. Um, not happy about that, but I, I probably will. That's just reality. But I can look back even on my bad experiences in ministry. And I had some, in my early years as a Christian, I had some really bad experiences. I mean, I about wanted to just give up on church altogether. I actually made the comment, I will never work at a church. Famous last words. (laughs) But I thank God 
for those experiences now because they awakened me to, to, to character transformation. They awakened me to the truth of God in a way that I couldn't have been awakened to had everything just been going good. Had I not encountered resistance and trials and struggles in my life, I would not be the person I am today. Now, some of y'all might say that. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> But I like to think that I'm going in a good direction. (laughs) I can actually, I've actually come to the point in my journey where as crazy as it sounds, when I read things that that talk about rejoicing when you face trials and tribulations, I, I can actually do that a little bit now. It just seemed absolutely crazy to me years ago. Like, rejoice when you lose your job. Rejoice when you're having marital problems. It's like, what? But I've realized that as long as I hang on to Jesus, God's going to do something in me. No matter what I go through, as long as I guard my heart from keeping bitter, you know, getting bitter and stuff, and sometimes that is a challenge, but as long as I keep holding on to Jesus, He's going to do something in me that's worth more than anything money could buy. And that's what God, that's what, that's what Paul's trying to get out with the Philippian church. That's what God wants us to know is that, look, hey, it's great when you're getting your prayers all answered. It's great when you got money and you got a good house and and your wife loves you and your kids obey you. It's great. Rejoice. Be thankful for that. But don't attach your happiness to that. Attach your happiness to what Jesus has done and who he is and that he's given you grace. And his grace will sustain you and lead you on and take you through whatever fire, whatever trial, whatever hardships you may face. That is the good news. That's the good news. That's gospel. Sign me up for that. I mean, which would you rather have? All the riches of the world, or would you rather be able to just go through anything? I can make it through anything. Put me anywhere, and I'm happy. That's what Paul wants for his church. I think that's what God wants for this church. Truth is, we live in a scary world. Who knows? By the end of next week, it could all fall apart. Our economy could be just in the toilet again. But if we hang on to Jesus, he'll get us through anything. Just the way he got Paul through it. Just the way he got the Philippian church through it. So this morning, I just want to invite the band back up for a moment. We're going to, we're going to, y'all can get back up. <laughs> I want to invite the band up for a moment. <clears throat> I can see who's listening to me today. <laughs> I just want to close by by singing a song we sang in worship earlier. I will trust you, and and I just I think this is a time. Maybe maybe you're not struggling with with thinking God's mad at you. Maybe life is going good, uh, but but maybe we just need to return to the Lord and just say, God, in my weakness, in my struggle, would you come and give me grace? Right now, Lord, I open up my hands. I open up my heart to you, and I just put my life back in your hands again. Why don't you join with me? In my weakness Would you